Eclipse.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We gotta stop us! They're gonna kill us all! See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part, you can't even passively take part, and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, by all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop, and you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyalty? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given right, and we shall not give that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we took that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. The Freedom Source Foundation. Let me turn my volume down a little bit because I think it might start feeding back if I do want. Should be better. Right. Live from Newcastle Central Station from the railway station, or more accurately, a cafe called Destination 1850. Uh, that's, that's the railway station's been here since 1850, so 172 years, or whatever it is. It's a long time. And back in the day, Newcastle was the centre of a kind of, kind of northern enlightenment, a kind of Scottish enlightenment, but the Newcastle version. There was a lot of lot of activity. There's a, there's a a couple of buildings close to here that are 
educational buildings is the Mining Institute and there's the, the Literature and Philosophy Library, which are a few doors down. And then you've got Collingwood Street, which is the first electrically lit street in the world. Uh, so that's a bit of an achievement. It was a bit of a, a centre for the Industrial Revolution, Newcastle. The Hall of the North East was. Big mining area, big steel steel area. Newcastle Brown Hill, yeah, it's uh, it's an acquired taste fleece. It's uh, I don't mind a bottle every now and again, but I wouldn't drink it regularly. And it used to have something in it that that, that turned people insane. At one point, I think they took whatever the ingredient out that was doing that, but there's a history of people going insane who drink Newcastle Brown Ale. And uh, if you saw some of the people locally here, you would you would know that that's true. There's a lot of insanity in Newcastle. There's a lot, lot of uh, strange people in Newcastle. There's a lot of people come in to Newcastle for the weekends now. It's, it's turned into a big tourist city, particularly for stag and hen parties. Yeah, don't drink too much Newcastle Brown Ale, please. It's, uh, it's loopy juice. That's what we see up here. It's loopy juice. It'll, it'll turn you loopy if you're not already loopy. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of new hotels opened up over the last... 20 years, and there's a lot of development happened on the quayside here. Newcastle's a bit further north than Sheffield Fleeced. It's, uh, it's about 100, 150 miles further north, so we're closer to the border of Scotland. It's, uh, it's a part of, part of the world where yeah, lots of coal, lots of steelworks, Lots of, lots of heavy industry is what it used to be. It's very much heavy industry. Um, there was a battle over safety lamps for the mines at one point. So you've got, I mean, remember, see if I can remember what, what this was. There was two people designed safety lamps with uh, like helmets with lights on, on the front of them. And there was... There was some kind of thing going on. There's a lot of rivalry goes on between Newcastle and the surrounding cities. Alright, cool. It's good to know I've got at least one listener every week. I know there's a couple of people. I'm, I'm going to name check the chat room because... Uh, the chat room's part of this, this whole thing, isn't it? <clears throat> and I haven't been here for a while, so not properly anyway. I decided this, this cafe is going to be where I'm based from now on. Even if it is a bit noisy, it's got a bit of atmosphere to it. So we'll have to just deal with the noise and, and do the show from here. So on the, on the chat room visitors list, we've got Robert B. Nero. We've got AR185162, Dry Fly Guy, Morpheus, Mer Bailey, Lady Horse, Monster383, uh, Fleeced, Nessamania, uh, Psycho Hypocrite, 
Noreen, uh, we've got a mad painter in the kitchen, Sherry from Sunflower, and we've got Nalia. All within the last 18 hours or so. So it's normally, normally pretty active, there's normally 15 or 20 active people in there. Obviously it dies down over overnight. But there's always usually somebody active, so revolution.radio is the place you'll find the chat room. And also the place you'll find the donation button and the merchandise shop. It's a, it's a busy railway station, this fleeced, so I'm never too sure whether it's too noisy or not, but it, it's going to work for now because it's very close to where I live. And it's got reliable internet, so those are the those are the two things that are my criteria. There's a there's a place up on a science park not too far away as well, which is a a, a flood barrier, but it's designed like to be a natural. It's artificial, but it's designed to be a natural flood barrier. And that's quiet, eh? So, it's warm and sunny today, so I thought about going up there, and that's the other spot that I could do. But I want to I get into the habit of doing, doing shows from this cafe, just because it's local. And the, the, the weather's not reliable in Newcastle, so there's no way that I can guarantee to, to get up to the Helix and do a show outside. It's, it's, it's not physically likely to happen, so I want to get the habit of doing it from here first. And then I can always bounce up there if it's if it's nice and warm and sunny, and there's no sign of any rain. I can always just go up there. But what I wanted to do was play uh, a piece from Alexander Alexander Makuris from last night again, which is a Ukraine update. So relatively recent, and, and he does a good job of these things. So. I think it's, it's, it's worth me doing this on a Saturday. I've only got a limited amount of time, so I'm just going to point everybody to my Odyssey channel, which is where, where I post my things now, and one of the places I post my things, and where I'm, I'm reposting material that I think is useful. So all I can really do in an hour is signpost people, and that's the place to, to find out what I'm looking at anyway, if you get the urge to do it. Mest, I know you don't have access to, to Odyssey, but uh, you can also find me on, on Podbean. If you've got, got an Android phone or an iPhone, you can, you can download Podbean. I'm on there as Radio Projects, and I'm on Odyssey as Radio Projects as well. So let me just, let me just set this up, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll let Alexander Mercurius do, do what he needs to do. And we've got a bit of Neil Young in the background now, which is another reason I like this cafe. I'm a big Neil Young fan from years ago, and I think it's an interesting, an interesting guy with a long history. Well, this is Alexander Mercurius talking about Ukraine. It's about half an hour long, maybe 37, 38 minutes. 
I'll play I'll play most of it, I think, because it, it's good. I listened to this last night. And uh, here we go anyway. There should, we should be able to get through this without any stuttering. That's such good Wi-Fi here. Good day. Before I proceed with this video, just a quick reminder that if you're watching any of our videos, videos by the Duran or Alexander Mercuris or Christophoro on Rumble, if you go to the top of the video, you red maroon button. If you press that red maroon button, that will take you straight to our locals homepage where you can join our locals community, become, if you choose, an active member. And of course, if you do become an active member of our community on Locals, you can then start to publish exclusive content and also participate in my Wednesday live streams. Well, today's video, as all the other videos now for several weeks, will be focused on the crisis in Ukraine. I say that with some degree of apology, especially if you live outside the West and Russia, because obviously this isn't the only event that's taking place in the world. But at the moment, it's such, it's the event around which all other issues in the world are being organised, and for that reason, I will primarily focus upon it. And we've had a fair amount of news over the last 24 hours from the battlefields. Now, firstly... We've received news, I've received news, there's been news that in Mariupol itself, this is this port city on the Sea of Azov, which has been the major point of the conflict at the moment, that in Mariupol itself, um, organised resistance by the Ukrainian military in most of the city has apparently completely broken down. Apparently, there are still isolated groups of Ukrainian fighters trying to resist the various forces of the Russian army, the militia of the Donetsk People's Republic and the Chechen irregular forces that are now steadily clearing the city, but organised resistance in the city itself in its residential regions seems to have essentially collapsed. It seems that the forces of the Donetsk People's Republic have now occupied the major administrative buildings of the city the mayor, the Ukrainian mayor of the city, apparently has left. And before very long, I suspect it will be the residential areas will be cleared entirely of Ukrainian troops, at which point, no doubt, the Russians will announce that it has that the city has indeed fallen under the control of the Donetsk People's Republic. The Ukrainian defense ministry um, essentially admitted the truth earlier today, when it also confirmed that the Russians have now, in effect, established a land bridge between the Donetsk People's Republic and Crimea. In other words, that they're in control um, of all of Kherson region, most of Zaporozhye region, and all, most 54% uh, of Donetsk region, but certainly all of the coastline, and that means that they're, in effect, 
in a position to control all the sea all the way up to Crimea. And that has been achieved through what has been largely, the largely completed pacification of Mariupol. I understand that the only point of organized resistance by the Ukrainian forces in Mariupol is the giant Azov-style steelworks, which is apparently where um, some of the troops of the far-right um, battalion, which I'm not going to name, where most of those troops, some of those troops are now located. I suspect that those troops will rapidly be surrounded, and if a decision is taken to uh, not to storm the steelworks, which might cause an awful lot of very severe fighting and heavy and heavy loss of life, it will probably be the case that the Russians will decide that bottling up these troops in that steelworks means that in time they can be starved out. Well, that's my assessment of the situation in Mariupol based on the information that I'm getting. Elsewhere in Donbass, which as we will see is still very much the central area of the fighting. I understand that Russian troops are now moving steadily south from the city of Izium, which they cleared um, some days ago, and they're moving south, closing the vice around the remaining Ukrainian troops in the Donetsk region, which were located opposite the, important, the um, capital city of Donetsk, uh, of the Donetsk region, which is Donetsk city, which has of course always been under militia control. And I also understand that the Ukrainian forces around Severodonetsk and Lysychsk also remain essentially encircled. Now, as I discussed in my previous video, there's a great deal of mystery as to the exact number of these forces, but there is no dispute that they consist of the better troops, the best organized and best trained troops of the Ukrainian military. And it's clear that they are being steadily encircled and defeated. Now, I would also add that over the last 24 hours, there's been reports of a shift in targets by the Russian Air Force and missile troops, they seem now to be concentrated, uh, concentrating on attacking fuel dumps and um, fuel facilities around Ukraine. They destroyed a major fuel dump, fuel, fuel storage center near Kiev. And the point here is that these places, these fuel storage centers were providing the fuel for the Ukrainian forces in eastern Ukraine. So the intention apparently appears, is to try to deprive, to starve these troops of fuel, presumably with the intention of preventing them now from carrying out a proper retreat, thereby making their total encirclement ultimately easier. So it does seem to me as if the, you, you, the, the Russians now are essentially closing in on these troops uh, in Donbass 
and that this is the disaster, this is the end of that, of that Ukrainian force in Donbass, which has been all along the centre of Russian strategic priorities. Now, very interestingly, we've had a discussion of Russian intentions, and it's been provided by a senior official of the Russian Defence Ministry. And I'm going to read out the entire report from Interfax, and then I'm going to comment on some of the things that the Western media has been saying about these comments. And the person, the, the uh, military official, is General Sergei Rudskoy. And this is what Interfax reports him as having said. The main objectives of the first stage of the operation in Ukraine have been accomplished. Russian General Staff, main operational director at head, Sergei Rudskoy said. The main state objectives of the first stage of the operation have generally been accomplished. The combat potential of the armed forces of Ukraine has been consistently reduced, which I emphasize once again, makes it possible to focus on the main effort to achieve the main goal, liberation of Donbass. Units of the Lugansk People's Republic militia have liberated 93% of the Republic's territory. That means Lugansk region. Fighting is now taking place on the approaches to Severodonetsk and Lysychansk. The, 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 the People's Militia of the Donetsk People's Republic have taken control of 54% of their territory. The liberation of Mariupol continues. Units of the armed forces of the Russian Federation, jointly with the People's Militia of the Donetsk People's Republic, are conducting an offensive to liberate populated areas west of Donetsk. The storming of Ukrainian cities blocked by Russian troops is possible, but the main objective is the complete liberation of Donbass. We did not plan to storm them initially in order to avoid destruction and minimize losses among personnel and civilians. Although we are not ruling out such a possibility, our forces and equipment will focus on the most important thing, the complete liberation of Donbass in due course following the implementation of the set objectives by specific combat groups and they're being implemented successfully. We did not relegate military support to the Lugansk and Donetsk People's Republics only within their borders due to the threat of constant replenishment of Ukrainian military groups. There were two options. The first one was to limit the actions only to the territory of the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics within the administrative borders of the Donetsk and Lugansk regions, which is stated in the Republic's constitutions. But then we would have been faced with constant replenishment by the Ukrainian authorities of the group involved in the so-called Joint Forces Operation. That's the Ukrainian army, the name of the Ukrainian army in Donbass. Therefore, the second option was chosen, which envisages actions on the entire territory of Ukraine with events for its demilitarization and denazification. The progress of the operation confirmed that this decision was the right, right one. It is being conducted by the general staff in strict accordance with the approved plan. Now, there have been some reports in the Western media that this 
announcement by Rudskoy that the priority of the Russian military is Donbass and that they were not seeking to storm uh, Ukrainian cities outside the Donbass and that um, um, and that their objective was to defeat the Ukrainian armies in Donbass, that this somehow represents a scaling down of Russian objectives. Well, if you've been following this channel, you will know that this is simply not the case. But don't take it from me. This is what Vladimir Putin said some uh, weeks ago at a meeting with airline staff in the Kremlin. He said this on the 5th of March. And as you will see, it's very, very cl close to uh, what um, the um, situation, um, what is being described by, um, um, by uh, General Rudskoy. He said that, um, that he said, he said, he said, sorry, he said um, the following. Um, when discussing the operation. Speaking of the operation itself, I know that there are many speculations about it. Frankly, I have no time to get into that, but the report to me that there is much chit-chat about what is going on. Um, all analysts are seeing what is happening, so I will not reveal any secret to you. We, would have, we could have acted in a variety of ways. We could simply... Um, help the republics of Donbass right on the line of contact up the front line, so to say, and simply reinforce them with our army. But in this case, the other side, I mean reckless support for nationalists and radicals coming from the West, would have provided endless support with the material resources, ammunition, equipment and so on. Therefore, our general staff and the defence ministry took a different road. The first thing they did was to destroy all the military infrastructure, not completely, but most of it. Arms and ammunition depots, aircraft and air defence systems. Destroying air and enemy air defence systems takes some time. Um, um, uh, uh, some time. They must be identified and then hit. This work has been practically finished. However, the demand to impose a uh, uh, no-fly zone, uh, therefore, uh, hence the demand to impose a no-fly zone. Um, however, uh, this is why we chose this road, and it turned out to be absolutely correct. Our servicemen are working without haste and are doing everything to ensure the safety of civilians. And then he goes on to discuss the operation as it was, and this was on the March the 5th. But you see that Putin, on the March the 5th, confirms, or rather already said, what Rudskoy is saying now, that the operation has always been focused on Donbass, but the Russian military advised the political leadership that if they restricted their operations to Donbass, if they didn't extend them beyond Donbass, then the risk was that the Russians would find themselves in a constant battle with endlessly reinforced Ukrainian forces in Donbass. And therefore, the decision was taken to step outside Donbass, um, limit 
the ability of the Ukrainians to re reinforce their forces in Donbass by pinning troops down in places like Kiev, Kharkiv, Nikolaev, Odessa and the rest so as to isolate the Ukrainian forces in Donbass and defeat them in detail. There is no difference between what Rudskoy is saying now and what Putin was saying on the 5th of March. Now, to return to um, um, what uh, Rudskoy said, he actually said an awful lot more. He said Ukraine's air forces and air, air defence system are now destroyed almost entirely. The country's navy has ceased to exist. The um, demilitarization of Ukraine is being achieved, both with precision strikes on military infrastructure, military bases, aerodromes, command posts, arsenals and military de depots, and with troops crushing the opposing enemy groups. Some NATO states suggest closing the airspace over Ukraine. The armed forces of the Russian Federation will immediately react to any such attempts appropriately. Now, I would say also that people in the West, commentators in the West, have said that Rutskoy seemed to be scaling back from plans, Russian plans, to storm Ukrainian cities. As I have again argued, discussed many times in many programmes on this channel, it's absolutely clear that the Russians were never focused on storming Ukrainian cities like Kiev and Kharkiv and Nikolaev and Chernigov and Sumy. The objective always was to pin Ukrainian troops down there. But it's important to say that Rutskoy is now leaving the option of storming those cities, of taking those cities open. He said, we do not plan to storm them initially in order to avoid destruction and minimize losses among personnel and civilians, although we are not ruling out such a possibility. So that wasn't the original plan to storm these cities, but if Ukraine's resistance continues, if they don't come to terms, the kind of terms that the Russians are insisting upon, in other words, if they don't agree to neutrality, demilitarization, what the Russians refer to as denazification, and if they won't recognize the independence of the Donbass and Crimea's um, unification with Russia, then in that case, the policy might change. And eventually, we might start to see Russian troops entering cities like Sumy, Chernigov, Kharkiv, and perhaps eventually even Kiev. So what some people in the West are reporting as a softening of Russian positions, when analysed properly, is actually a hardening of them. And note carefully that Rutskoy spoke about the main objectives of the first stage of the operation having been generally accomplished, which begs the question of what the second and third and fourth and other stages of this operation might be. So, Right, I'm going to jump in at that point because I've played 20 minutes. 
Uh, there's another 15-ish minutes to do, so I want to jump in and just remind people that Revolution Radio is listener-supported. Uh, you can join us at freedomslips.com or revolution.radio. There's a chat room and there's a, a Zazzle merchandise store if you want to buy caps or baseball caps or mugs or t-shirts, whatever they've got on, available there. Or you can make a monthly donation. Help us out with $5 a month if you can, if you can do it. It helps people with, to have the ability to plan. And we're all volunteers, so nobody makes any money from it. It just goes to pay the, the running costs, ultimately. So we appreciate it. We appreciate the donations. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here without people shipping in. So if you can, help out. Please do it. I'm going to play another 15 minutes of this, and then I'll talk for the last 10 minutes or so. The first stage might have been focused on Donbass. Perhaps future stages will go wider than that. Now, Rutskoy also provided some information about Russian troop losses. He said, unfortunately, due to the special military operation, there have been losses amongst our comrades. 1,351 servicemen are dead and 3,825 injured. Now, I believe these figures, Westerners, the Western governments and the Ukrainians have been giving wildly improbable and absurd figures ranging up to 30,000 casualties including 15,000 dead. I've never taken any of those claims seriously. These Russian figures seem to me to be reasonably reliable. I understand that Rutskoy also gave figures for Ukrainian casualties. Apparently he said or claimed that they were, that the Ukrainians had suffered as many as 14,000 dead. I have to say, I haven't seen that anywhere and I'm not going to... Um, comment on that claim um, unless I'm absolutely sure that it has been made. But for the record, I think that this figure of 1,351 dead soldiers that the Russians have suffered is probably about right. Anyway, that seems to me to be a fair summary of the general state of the actual military conflict. Mariupol largely cleared probably about to fall, some, some uh, militants holding out some, you know, brave souls from the, well, brave souls, some, some people, if you like, some hardline people from the uh, uh, far-right battalion clinging on is the, in the Azov-style steelworks, but elsewhere in the city, resistance having essentially broken down. And um, elsewhere in Donbass, the Ukrainian army, largely paralysed, um, increasingly in retreat on multiple fronts and facing encirclements even as its fuel supplies are targeted and are perhaps running out. Now, of course, these are the military developments. We've also had a whole succession of meetings in uh, Brussels attended by Western leaders, including President Biden of the United States and there was a meeting by NATO and there was a meeting um, of the European Union.
about these meetings is that nothing actually of any substance came out of either of them. It's clear that there's been much discussion and debate within NATO about sending NATO troops or troops from some NATO country into Ukraine. But wiser councils have thankfully prevailed and apparently that option is not being pursued. And so far, there's no information about any further sanctions on Russia, and it doesn't seem that there will be any substantive sanctions on Russia announced as a result of these meetings over and above and beyond those sanctions which have already been announced. Um, The German government has been talking about reducing dependence on Russian natural gas and energy by half by the end of this, by midpoint this year. What it actually seems to be doing, what the Germans actually seem to be doing, is buying more and more Russian gas, probably at ever higher prices, in a desperate bid to fill their underground reserves before the winter comes, in, so in the hope or expectation that by that point they'll be able to get more liquefied natural gas from the United States and Qatar. Well, Qatar has now issued a statement that it's not in a position to replace rough natural gas supplies and that this is actually impossible. It's actually said that, in fact, uh, energy policy created from politics. Now, this comes a couple of days after the German economics minister, Robert Hartbeck, went to Qatar, met with Qatari officials, and came away pretending that he'd gained from Qatar some long-term commitment to provide Germany with more liquefied natural gas. I said at the time that this was obviously not true, and the Qataris have, in effect, admitted it, have agreed to it, have, have confirmed it. So there's not going to be a huge flood of LNG from Qatar. The United States has said that it will increase supplies of LNG to Europe. But at the moment, given that production in the United States is apparently running at maximal levels um, based on existing capacity, it's going to be very difficult, it seems to me, to do that without diverting US LNG from Asian suppliers. Now, what that inevitably is going to mean is that LNG prices worldwide are going to spike. Those countries, specifically China, which get pipeline gas from Russia, are going to be getting cheaper gas, but everybody else, including Germany, is going to get more expensive gas. And this doesn't even take into account what the Russians might do. Because I'm starting to wonder whether Putin's uh, comment that Russia is shortly going to start demanding payment of the natural gas it supplies to Europe in rubles, whether that isn't a first step by Russia in cutting off natural gas supplies to Europe. The Europeans are saying that they will not supply, they will not pay for Russian natural gas with rubles. 
if they stick to that, and if the Russians do indeed set, insist on the position that they're not going to supply natural gas to, to Europe unless they are paid in rubles, then presumably in about a week's time, Russian supplies of natural gas to Europe will completely stop. I don't know what happens then. Um, it seems to me that at that point, European gas storage facilities will be largely empty, will still be largely empty. We're only just a few weeks away from winter after all. Um, some of that gas will have to be used over the summer. Um, if the Europeans stick to their present position of not paying for it in rubles, then presumably natural gas will quickly run out. And as I've said already, there just isn't enough LNG being produced by the United States to make the difference. And Qatar has also confirmed as much. So we will see what happens and what's going on there. But it does seem to me as if we're now in a game of bluff and counter bluff. And it will be interesting to see whose bluff gets called first. Overall, I have to say that this whole affair once again reminds me of this catastrophic failure in Western diplomatic strategy, which has brought us to this point of utter crisis. Let us go back again just six weeks to um, mid-February before the conflict had heated up, before the fighting began. At that point, the Russians were basically demanding two things. A written commitment from the West that Ukraine would not join NATO. And secondly, um, commitments from the West that um, there, would, there would not be any further eastward expansion of NATO and that the Minsk agreements the Minsk Agreement, which was supposed to provide the pathway to a settlement of the Ukrainian conflict, would be fully implemented as a result of direct talks between the Ukrainians and the leaders of the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics. And as I repeatedly said in programme after programme, given that there was never any real plan that Ukraine would ever join NATO, and given that the Western powers all said that they supported the Minsk agreement, it seemed to me that the Russian demands were not only reasonable, but ones that could be accepted or agreed to without any real sign of Western capitulation. Instead, what we got was the Western powers digging in their heels refusing to discuss the eastward expansion of NATO. We have those extraordinary words by NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg saying that the Russians had no right to veto, no right to, no right to state a view about NATO's eastward expansion. This is only a matter for NATO to decide. And um, at the same time, the Western powers did absolutely nothing to get the Ukrainians to sit down and to negotiate the, um, upon the basis of the Minsk agreement. There was, in fact, a disastrous meeting of the political advisers of, Ukraine, of, of the presidents of Ukraine and Russia and of the president of France and the Chancellor of Germany in Berlin in February 
which went nowhere when Ukraine again refused to do what the, the Minsk agreement specified, which was sit down and negotiate with the representatives of the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics, and the French and the Germans just sat there nodding and apparently doing nothing. So think of that situation. Think how different things would be now if the Western powers had acted differently. We would have avoided a war. Ukraine would not have been devastated in the way that it has been. The IMF says that only around a third of Ukrainian, Ukraine's economy is still functioning. Millions of people have been displaced from their homes. Thousands of people have been killed. Uh, um, uh, tens of thousands have been injured. And of course, uh, the West has embarked upon a sanctions war, which is now firing up even further global inflation, uh, which is threatening the world with food and energy shortages. It seems to me that the price we are all paying for a mule-headed refusal to negotiate upon terms that, frankly speaking, were perfectly reasonable when looked at objectively, that this price that we're all paying is exorbitantly high. Well, I'm afraid we can't go back in time and we can't now return to the situation that we were in in mid-February. The Russians have clearly lost. Okay, so that's um, Alexander Mercurius on his... I'm, I'm playing it from Odyssey, but he's on Rumble as well. And usually the videos show up on BitChute at some point. Um, if, you can, if you can find the Duran, D-U-R-A-N, or just look for Mercurius, which is M-E-R-C-O-U-R-I-S. There's, there's nobody else shows up from Mercurius apart from Alexander, so you should be able to find him. Um, I like this commentary, and I'm quite happy to play about half an hour of it out of, out of the hour, because it's, when I put geopolitics into that bumper that I made at Christmas, I wasn't expecting necessarily to be doing a lot of geopolitics. I just thought I'd put it in there for fun, because it gives me another option for the show, but it's turned out that it, uh, it was a useful thing to put on the list. So it will still always be kind of philosophy and metaphysics and psychology and that sort of stuff, all the things that I'm interested in, but geopolitics is an extension of that. It's all the art of war, ultimately. Um, and there's always going to be wars and rumours of wars. If I can find a good source of information for the Yemen, then I'll play something about that as well. But uh, it needs to be a good source of information. I'm not just going to play anything from BitChute on here, because I've only got a limited amount of time. So I want something that's not necessarily objective, but at least is and Alexander Mercurius is prepared to tell you where his sources are. And it's fairly obvious a lot of his sources are some places like South Front and, and Russia Today. But he also covers the, the Times and the Telegraph and the Financial Times and Newsweek and the Wall Street Journal and all those kinds of places as well. So 
it's it's got a bit bit more balance to it and a bit more objectivity simply because he's including all kinds of different sources, and that's what I like. If I if I could do it myself with this format, then I then I don't have the time, and then I haven't got the uh, the experience with the format yet to be able to do it myself. But I will I will do it at some point. It's on my list of things to do, uh, along with a thousand other things. So, um, a quick update from me on my, my situation at the moment is I've, uh, I've just taken a job. So, I've been getting interviews for the last month or so, and I've finally been offered a job, which is, ironically, is uh, energy and gas. It's uh, gas and electricity for business, uh, telemarketing. So, I'm going to be doing something in the sector which is directly related to uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Some irony there. But it's resonance, I think. So when you're, when you're watching videos about, about oil and gas production all the time, eventually it's going to get into your psychology, it's going to get into your consciousness, and it's going to produce a job in the, in the energy sector. And given that I'm an energy healer of whatever whatever that might mean, psychological energy or universal energy or all of these terms are all a bit vague, but it's the same principle. So oil and gas is the physical manifestation and money is the physical manifestation of universal energy. So I'm neutral about all of it. I'll work with it. I'll work with it. And... Uh, direct it in a way that I think is appropriate because that's the only thing that I can do uh, and ideally some of, some of the money should come in my direction within the next few months so it should dig me out of a financial hole that I've been stuck in for a long time if this goes according to plan which nothing ever does then it'll dig me out of a bit of debt and it'll clear the way for me to buy some better equipment and to get a better place to live and Lots of, and lots of other things. Maybe even do some traveling. Yeah. The other thing that I've got in the back of my mind is to do a show from some standing stores that are relatively local to me, that are about 4,000 years old. Stone Circle in Northumberland. So if I can figure out the logistics, I don't think I'll be able to get a wire. Uh, a, a broadband signal up there. I don't think I'll be able to get a, even a, a mobile broadband signal. So I might end up visiting the stores and then doing the show from the nearest hostelry, which will be all right. If, if I can work it all out, I don't know how long it will take or whether, it'll, whether I'll manage that for, for midsummer. I don't know. It might end up being midwinter. But the theory is to do a show from from 4,000 year old standing stones just because I'm out, if I'm out and about anyway I might as well pick a venue and pick, pick pick an event and make some kind of significance out of it as a radio show and uh, given my history of going backwards and forwards to Glastonbury and Stonehenge there's no reason why I wouldn't do that so it's on my list and it may or it may not happen depending on logistics and money and all those sorts of things. Uh, but spring is definitely here. It's, uh, it's a really nice day again today. About 15 degrees, 
bright sunshine and uh, we've, it's going to be colder next week but, but we've, def- we've got a definite amount of heat in the air now there's some warmth in the air so we're getting there slowly in my world I like the temperature to be in double figures I can't, I can't do temperatures that are single figures they, they drive me insane but then I don't particularly like it when it gets over about 22, 23 degrees. I like it somewhere in, a, in that kind of temperate zone is my ideal world. And we're just about there for now. We're in that kind of range. So this is, this is my functional range. I can get stuff done in this kind of temperature range without struggling, either with the cold or the heat. So from now until about mid uh, mid-June maybe mid-July when we've got that moderate temperature I'll get a lot of stuff done and uh, there'll be podcasts so on Podbean you can find me on Spotify you can find me on uh, where, where I've now got an audience in in um, as well as in the US and Canada and Australia I've now got a reasonable audience in India I can see the download figures on the podcast and there's, there's been, been a significant increase in the last month in the download figures in India. So somebody's listening and um, I'm grateful for anybody who listens, quite honestly. But now I've, I've got feedback coming from the, from the podcast. So that'll get, it'll get stronger. It'll kind of develop and get stronger this year. And uh, the company I'm going to be working for has got... Based in the states, I think, but they've got they've got a subsidiary in, in India as well. So if I can find a good source of information about the energy sector, there might be quite a lot of podcasting about the energy sector because that's what I'm going to be trained on over the next few weeks. So that's what's going to be in my head for work. It might as well filter into the into the podcast and the radio shows as well. So, um, yeah, the other thing about Odyssey, I was going to mention that uh, I watched the new Spider-Man movie. I found it on Odyssey. I watched it on my phone the other day. Spider-Man Far From Home. So if, you, if you're looking for good movies, uh, find my Radio Projects channel. The Free Association Weekly Radio Show, it's called on Odyssey. And uh, I've reposted the movies that I'm watching on there as well. So not only is it geopolitics and metaphysics, it's movies as well on that channel. So that's the place to be. That, that's where I'm putting all my resources. Anything that I use for the podcast or the radio show, I'll post there. Because it's easier for me to just do it and make it a, make it a playlist. I'll make it a a reposting on the channel. Keeps everything in one place. Keeps my head organised, and I'm going to be going to be walking backwards and forwards half an hour each way to work. So I'm going to have time to to do a bit of digging and research on my phone on the way to work and on the way back. So there'll be something posted every day, and I might even do a live stream in the evening from somewhere with a pint a couple of times a week just to just to stay sane just to chill out for me the stress of 
the stress of phoning businesses all day, every day, trying to get them to sign up for, for gas and electric. But a job's a job. It's a good job. The wage is reasonable. The commission structure's good. They'll train me. It's a different sector to the sector that I've been working in for the last 15 years. So it's a move. It's an upwards move. And if I get a team together there, and I, I do reasonably well, it'll be a very lucrative move as well. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for all of those things. You never know where my life goes. It goes up and down all the time. It's a bit of a roller coaster ride, but it is what it is. Uh, so thanks for listening. And uh, I'm in all of those places that I've mentioned. Revolution Radio is at freedomslips.com. If you can afford to give $5 a month, then, then we'd all appreciate it. Uh, and thanks for listening. Uh, see you again next week. Uh, probably for another geopolitics show. While this war is going on, I'll, I'll keep it at this kind of format in this particular cafe. And we'll see if we can work up a little bit of uh, good material in the archives. But thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Are you interested in the paranormal? Murder mystery? Real natural law? Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crypt Rick every Monday night, 
6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crypt Riffs, I think, thank you. Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> what the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth G. 